Welcome to the eighth episode of When Women Preach. My name is Mary Michelle, and I'm the host of today's episode, along with Young Lee Hertig, the Executive Director of the Innovative Space for Asian American Christianity, or Isaac. This podcast was created to give the resources and tools for Asian American women and Latinas to preach more effectively. Today, we have two guests um, who actually were panelists at our recent gender summit on women of color church planters. Both of them have incredible experiences about church planting, specifically as Asian American Latina women. So first, J.S. So, who is the co-founder and co-pastor of Anchor City Church in San Diego. Yes, hi. Um, my name is Jaya. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm a co-pastor of a church called Anchor City. We're six years old. We're a church plant with the Presbyterian Church USA. Um, we're like a third culture church is how we describe ourselves, largely Asian American. Um, so my main job is to pastor this group. And then I also do some work with our denomination and a group called Cyclical, um, working with other church planters. And so, um, yeah, that's in a very small nutshell what I do. Thank you. Um, and now we'll, we'll also introduce Inez, who is wearing many hats right now, um, but also church planter uh, currently of the church we hope for. Thank you, Miriam. Uh, yes, I am a co-lead pastor of the church we hope for, and it is a new church plant here in Southern California. I'm a co-lead pastor with another male, another white male, and uh, that is in a very embodied, intentional way of leading together. We are planting an intentionally multi-ethnic church uh, to make disciples uh, that have a heart for reconciliation, a heart for justice, a heart for love, and a heart heart for mercy here in Southern California. Uh, this is the second time that I'm church planting. The first uh, church that I helped plant was about 19 years ago in the Southern United States in Arkansas. And so this is my second round, but in a very different place as a woman, as a pastor, as a preacher. And uh, here we are. I'm also a chaplain at Fuller Seminary, which is where I got my MDiv. And so a lot has changed even in the past uh, 20 years since the last time that I planted a church. So one thing from the summit that um, you both mentioned was that creating a church plant of sorts was a way for you to participate more in the leadership of, um, of the church. Can you explain how that is in your current context? For sure, it is a new context than, when I, than the places where I've been before. And I would say for the first thing is that the pulpit is both a spiritual and a social location. And so it's not just the actual place what you're st where you're standing on a stage or on a platform or these days behind a screen you know in the midst of this pandemic but the pulpit mm -hmm. is both a spiritual and social location and in my previous context i found that that spiritual and that social location that wasn't just physical that that pulpit was a restricted space a restricted space in quantity and how many times i was allowed you know to come and speak not preach but speak you know mm. it was a constricted place that was dominated by white male normativity because I had to be given permission and authority by an all-male elder board to even speak, again, not preach. Uh, even the language was important. Gender would have been an obstacle to even say, I am preaching. I'm doing the verb of preaching and I'm doing the verb of pastoring. And so the, my previous context came that way with restricted in quantity, constricted because of white male normativity 
normativity and limited in access and audience. So I could preach to the youth. I could preach to the young adults. I could preach to the women all day long if I wanted to, but to preach to an audience that was co-ed and males older than, I don't know, 18, 19, 20 years old, it was limited. And so that's where I see that um, the pulpit comes with privilege and those that have been in power historically around that pulpit control what that space looks like and control who comes to that space. So currently here I am second time around church planting. Uh, this, this, this place that is both a spiritual and social location is more spacious. Uh, thanks be to God. And the lines have fallen in pleasant places and, and, and the boundaries have been broken and, the, and the, the, the obstacles disrupted, right? And so I now am able to preach both with positional authority and spiritual authority. Thanks be to God. Wow. I really liked how you described your space as more spacious. Um, you know, it's not like church plants usually start out with a lot of physical space, but just the mm-hmm. fact that you are um, that you are fulfilling God's call in a space that is finally big enough for you um, yes. for what God has called you to do. I have to say, Ines, that's just so beautiful. I don't know how to follow that up better than what you said. I mean, I love it. I was vibing with all of it. And so I'll just add to the whole thing about new church. Um, I think I've heard it like described as kind of like the R&D research and development arm of like the big church C, right? And so in a lot of ways, um, not only did I experience things that were similar to what Ines um, was going through, but also just in the ways that like maybe creative approaches or things that I thought were more relevant to the people who were listening. Um, That just wasn't there because you had to do it a certain way. We were trained to do it a certain way in seminary. And it's not to knock the seminary training, but I think in a lot of ways um, in the new church context, there is the ability to become a little bit more creative in how we think preaching and proclamation should happen. Could you describe more of that creativity you mentioned, Jaya? Yeah, I think part of it is that uh, when you talk about people who are unchurched or dechurched, right? Um, Like the idea of sitting, there are some who love to just sit and listen to teachers and that's wonderful and great. And I'm actually one of them, but a lot of those folks, they're just not used to this idea of church, right? Where you sit down, you listen to a pastor, there's very little engagement. Um, There's little engagement with even the outside world. And so for us um, in our community, we're very intentional about having a discussion time in the middle of the sermon. And so we'll, you know, we'll do a little bit of teaching and then we'll say, okay, now it's, break off into groups. We would do it in a large group context because we're not huge, but our group is very shy. And so it always just works better in groups of, you know, two or three, four at most, where they get to engage right away rather than go home and think about it. But I think that, and as like listening to you or just even to other fellow women church planters, it's so rare. And to have that camaraderie is so important because this work can be so isolating. Absolutely. And to find other women of color who are like-minded, I mean, that's just, it's a life. It's life-giving and it is a lifeline at times too. How did you prepare your pew sitters or um, church members that your church is more dialogical and engaging? Are they, how are they being prepared for your creative approach? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I'm not the best at like prepping. I'm just... <laughs> We have this thing these days where it's kind of like um, church planting. I've, I've loved it. I've loved this in the time of pandemic. And I've loved this even before where church planting is kind of like boiling spaghetti. And then you just throw it at the wall and you see what sticks. 
right? And yes. so, yes, right. And so we just try different things. And um, a lot of times it's, we sit down with the leadership and we say, hey, we're thinking about doing this. And many of them were either never on church leadership or are new to church. And so they'll just be like, okay, that sounds like a good idea. They're very trusting for better or for worse, very trusting. And so then we just kind of um, just try things and we let them know like, okay, now is the time for you know, discussion. That's just, it's become part of the DNA of our church. And that's the other thing about church planting is that you get to set the DNA. Like no one's there to tell you like, oh, we've always mm. done it this way, yeah. right? Like you you get to set the culture and that's just really nice. There's no expectation of, oh, there's never been a woman in the pulpit before. This is so new. Like from the moment, it's just, that's Pastor Inez and we yeah. trust her and we her, right? Yeah, Inez, I was also wondering, um, was there anything in your preaching content or style that changed? Yes, that's a great question. I, you know, we all as women and particularly women of color, I feel like we have learned some things and been conditioned about anything and everything in life, right? And so what we've, we've gone through our own processes of unlearning the things we've been told about how we should preach or um, how we preach um, like men and the models have been male, right? And so then we have, we've had to relearn. And so I love, this is why I think I'm so drawn to what Jay is saying with creativity, it, not just the preaching style, but how we do church uh, um, in general in church planting led by women. Is It's going to be a process of unlearning and relearning and unlearning and relearning. So it is with, your, with, with my preaching style. To me, now it is more embodied than it ever has been before. Because I bring my full personhood and my my full womanhood in how I preach. So I I was telling this to a young woman, a young pastor to be and preacher to be, one who is becoming a pastor. And she was asking me all these questions last week. She happens to be a woman of color. I said I am more in touch with my feminine soul. I am more in touch with my body when I preach. I am in touch with the mother heart of God. I am more in touch now with the liberating ways and how I read and interpret the gospel stories and how I see the women in the gospel stories. Cause we have to remind ourselves that the, it's not enough to just study the biblical, the female biblical characters. We have to understand how those women were perceived at their said time and place and context, because we're reading about them through male eyes. And so I love talking to dead women is what I like to say. Yes. I love have, talking to the dead women of the Bible. I sit down with them with a cafe con leche and I say, talk to me, tell me your story. <laughs> because I know that the lens that we're, even that the lens that we're reading with, even when we bring our bodies to the text, it's an androcentric lens, mm -hmm. right? And so I think our, our friends and sisters, um, our hermanas in the gospel stories and in the Old Testament as well, they need to be unshackled from those from those views um, and they need to be seen through our eyes, through Jaya's eyes, through your eyes, Miriam. And so I'm intentionally um, more unapologetic about my voice, my body, my curves. And that's intentional as a Latina because of the way I've been objectified where you, you tend to hide some parts of yourself, right? Because of how we've been sexualized, objectified in the past. And so I am more and more, more comfortable and more confident bringing my full self to the pulpit. I use more feminine metaphors to disrupt male normativity, I, female imagery in the way that I talk about God. I use gender inclusive language, not only for the audience to feel included, but for them to see that when Jaya comes to the pulpit, she's, she shows me an aspect of God that I haven't historically seen. And so in that regard, I don't preach like a man. 
I remember one of my friends telling me um, the, what are they called again? The, like the, the garments that you wear in certain mainline churches. Uh, I grew up in a Baptist church, so the word mm-hmm. is escaping me. Yes, <laughs> but yes. um, the special garments that you wear as an ordained person in the pulpit um, might not be fitted for most women or, you know, like the broad shoulders and yeah. other, <laughs> other mishaps. So um, she was just telling me how it was just funny to um, think of, wow, I'm actually embodying something totally different at the pulpit, literally, by not really fitting into these clothes. Interesting. Um, We found this company that does like essentially like a collared dicky. So it's just the collar and like the front part and you can just tuck it in. And that has been so liberating because I can wear it with almost anything now, a t-shirt or blouse or like a sweater. And it has been, I, I mean, I found it on a men's, um, like vestments website, but I think it's what every woman needs so that they could, she can wear it like under her dress and look like a normal person. We need seamstresses. We need the seamstresses of the spirit. <laughs> That's a metaphor for the whole church, like new church movement, I think. It's cutting things, recreating things, mm. making things new, right? And not doing away with them, right? But just adapting. And yeah, yes. that's beautiful. Yes. I love that. I was wondering, um, we talked all about this uh, recreating, creating, um, repiecing things together. I was wondering how you maintain that balance of, okay, this tradition is obviously what I'm grounded on. I want to keep this part, but also we need to move forward and like imagine something new. I think that that is where we need, um, we need female models. And so one of the things that I have tried to do uh, in my preaching practicum class, which was my second preaching class in, in my degree, I happened to be blessed by Dr. Lisa Lamb at Fuller Seminary. And I heard once, uh, she didn't say it directly, but I heard that she has a background in, in theater. And so the thing that she was having us experiment with in, in class were very different than my than like a normal homiletics class. She was inviting us to be in touch with our voices, with our bodies. Uh, We did an exercise where we just stood in front of the audience for one minute, not saying one word, and to be able to be so comfortable with our bodies that we speak non-verbally. She she made us listen to um, a TED Talk Mm -hmm. that talked about the five different voices that we ought to know how to talk with our metallic voice, our water voice, our fire voice. To be in touch with different things that were not just one thing. Not only are we not male, but even the four of us have different strengths that we bring to the pulpit that we need to know what those strengths are. And so we, we, we experiment with those by just trying things out um, and just, and just, testing those things to see what what feels more like us what what is more like me and breaking those old garments or breaking that old wineskin of preaching right um uh, i i you know i i love carl bart for for many reasons but his his book on on homiletics felt so cold and concrete and very very different than the creativity of the spirit that i hear in jaya for example and so I think we have to be willing to risk and go there and try different things. And part of our, our weekly rhythms were to read two, two poems every week and to listen to two females of color. During 10 weeks, that was our homework every week. We had to listen to read two poems, and, and, um, which would like help us craft just beautiful language, but also listen to two women, females of color, 
because we we learn by watching other women. I learn by watching Jaya. I learn by watching Miriam, you know, and it draws things out in me that I didn't even know I had, even at the pulpit in our tones of voice. But the other thing is, I love listening to other uh, uh, females of color that are not from my Latina tradition, because when they also bring not only their feminine self, but their social self, like when I hear stories about uh, whether it's South Korea or India from my other preacher friends, uh, something becomes alive in me, like you're saying, Jay, and I, and I go, oh, that is beautiful because God, God's idea so, so my imagination stops being myopic. So, and it expands it even beyond myself. And so I need my other sisters, but I also need all the beautiful textures of the kingdom and our cultures and, our, and the analogies from other countries and those rhythms too. Like I need that too. I need to hear a word in another language too, that I don't understand. Um, I, I, I listened to, to a sermon in Korean at Ch Fuller Chapel one time. And this particular preacher decided to preach all in English, uh, separate, and then all in Korean. So not like line by line. And I was like leaning into the Korean, not knowing one word, but there was something about that embodied cadence that did something to my heart and to my imagination. So I had already heard the English. I knew what he was preaching about. But then leaning into the language, there was something special, like the spark of the spirit. I was amening and saying, hallelujah without not knowing what the linguistics were doing but my spirit was awakened and i think that's what you're saying jaya that our spirits must be should be awakened in in the art of proclamation of god's god's embodied gospel and mm. so when we listen to each other we realize how hungry we have been we have been starved and how well that's nourished we, we like we just don't need just one voice not even just one feminine voice we have we need the fuller experience. It's really, yeah, and it's really encouraging to also realize that there is food out there for us. Um, it might not be, you know, displayed out on the window of the restaurants, <laughs> but to really acknowledge the cloud of witnesses that came before us and women who, you know, didn't necessarily preach at the pulpit, but preached in their own ways. Mm -hmm. um, I think often as a woman of color preaching, you know, out here in North Carolina, there aren't that many Korean American women preachers. So I often think like, who do I go to if I want advice? But honestly, there are. Um, and because of the small community we have, we are so much more supportive of each other. And it's just, again, reassuring as um, a young preacher to know that, you know, there are people who came before you and there are people who are out there to support you. And as described about seeing, uh, let's see, like basically reading the Bible and seeing the women of color in those narratives um, from their perspective. And I was wondering if you could actually just give us an example of a narrative that was flipped over because you now saw it from the women who were in that narrative. Oh, that is such a great, such a great question. I am reminded of the wonderful gender summit that we had last year and how several of the, the scholars that came that I was just in awe, salivating over all the goodness that they were giving us. Uh, when I started seeing Hagar um, as, um, as the enslaved woman that she was and the pain of that and not denying that and how she's been often written out of the story um, and um, it, it, it flips everything upside down when you see that she gave birth to Ishmael who was actually older than Isaac and then seeing the injustice of that and then seeing um, 
God run after her at the in the wilderness. God in, in the Hebrew it says that the, the spirit uh, that the angel of the Lord eagerly sought her out in the wilderness as Hagar was crying. Starting starting to see those women alongside with Sarai, right? But seeing Hagar and seeing the God uh, who gets named by an enslaved woman of color who later gets cast out. It wasn't her choice to be in that situation. <laughs> Whose idea was it to get impregnated by Abraham, right? And to, and to be able to be okay, to, to be okay with, with the tension in that story, but then see the angel of the Lord come. You know, my friend, um, she is she planted a church in a women's correctional institute in Tacoma, Washington. It's, you know, as you might know, like women who are incarcerated, it's largely disproportionately women of color. And they got to choose their name. This is a new church. They got to choose their name and they chose the name Hagar's Community Church because oh. they just felt this affinity to this woman. And that's mm-hmm. the kind of like, if no one's bringing that up, how would they know that there's a woman in the Bible who looks like them, right? Right. And to see that woman, same with the Samaritan woman, the Samaritan woman who we often, um, we often talk about, did she have five husbands? You know, oh my goodness, so many women, so many women and men have preached about her as if she's these, this loose woman. Does the Samaritan woman always have to be a whore in that story? What if she was a theologian? What if she was a worshiper? Because it is the lengthiest conversation that Jesus has with any person, happens to be a woman. We focus on that one aspect, which we know she could have been a widow and she could have been divorced because back then she could not have divorced herself. What if, we, what if we lean into the story where she says, now, when the Messiah comes, so she had knowledge of the Messiah. When the Messiah comes, he will tell us all these things. You know, you Jews say, she says, you, you say that you have to worship at this temple. You say that, and we say we have to worship at this temple. Do you know that the Samaritans wanted to build a temple with the Jews and the Jews wouldn't let the Samaritans do that because of their uncleanliness? So what does that look like as a woman to be the one left out wanting to build something, but you're not allowed? So they had to build their own temple. But then Jesus comes and says, you know what? Neither one of y'all. I am looking for worshipers. And here was a worshiping woman. I am looking for worshipers who will worship me in spirit and in truth. And so when we are reading and excavating this woman and talking to her, I find more richness. Um, and we need, we need, I need Jaya's vision, your vision, Young's vision to see these biblical characters in, from a different angle. See, our questions are different. Can you imagine having, you know, multiple rebounds in that first century? Men has right to divorce, not the woman, but the fact that she had the fifth husband means she's an amazingly capable woman. Somebody said she must be prettier than Elizabeth Taylor. And number two, the fact that they were engaging in theological discourse. She's a theologian, so this that's right. Precisely the reason why we need women to preach. Until women theologians came along, men usually preached from the pulpit that because women were created after Adam, that women are second class. And then women theologian questioned and said. Are you telling us then the vegetables and animals are superior to Adam? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so I 
I've never heard that before. That's great. Oh, gosh. <laughs> As Ines mentioned about Gender Summit, too, we had a great kudos and very well received from the Biblical Scholars panel. As we are speaking, 90% of chapters came in. For out of that panel, we are creating and publishing Biblical Study Guide for More Equal Pulpits. And I'll be contacting Intervarsity to publish. Gail E., K. Smith, and Uni, all of those panelists, they wrote. Yes, that is a definite resource that um, would definitely help women along the road once it's published. Um, yeah, I was, I'll turn it again to Jay and Inez. Um, any last words for women of color, especially trying to find their voice? I'll, I'll jump in first, um, just to bring back something that Inez said, which is to just try, like to take the risk. Um, I think I want to say this to anyone who is even thinking about church planting or like is thinking about wanting to do church in a new kind of way, has maybe like a holy dissatisfaction. It's just let's just try. Yeah. And, and to say that there are women like us who are who have who are just a couple steps ahead, who I think are just so supportive and wonderful. It's just a really good fertile ground right now. Mm. That's wonderful, Jaya. And, and just to piggyback on that to, to the just try um, to, to take that risk that Jaya is inviting us into, I would just add to um, also not worry. About, I was so worried about preaching perfectly, you know, and I think it's because of the high expectations we put on ourselves as women, because when we get invited to preach, it may be like the one time somebody gets to hear us. And so we think, oh my gosh, if we blow it, I blow it for everybody, every other woman coming behind me. But when it comes to, um, when it comes to receiving critical feedback, um, don't stop receiving critical feedback for your sermons, for your preaching voice. I think that's a, a constant way to keep the gift active and moving and changing and transforming. And uh, th this was something that my a former pastor told me right before I came to seminary because I, I had had a lot of experience under my belt before I came to seminary. So I kind of did the seminary experience background, backwards. And he said, Inez, you're already so good at what you do at, pre at preaching that it would be very easy for you not to grow and to remain stagnant. Have accept critical feedback and have safe and trusted people that can say, hey, when you do this, do you know that you do this and you do it so well? And so, and then also here's how you can become strengthened. So never stop learning. We should always be lifelong learners. And that would be a way to keep, keep the gift active and have other women listen to us, have women of color listen to us because they're going to bring an angle that they're, that other other men will not may not bring, and so here are three simple questions that when I do preaching coaching to to women that are trying to learn to preach and practicing to preach and trying to find their voice is uh, ask somebody else and to these three questions have them ask you this question after after you preach what was powerful why was it powerful and how did I make it powerful what was powerful why was it powerful and how did it make it powerful or the invitation to walk into our femininity or our social location maybe mm -hmm. we're we're maybe we're preaching too cold and concrete you know mm -hmm. so don't be afraid and it's a risk so back to what jay would say it is a risk to invite someone to give you feedback it's such an intimate and vulnerable place but i've grown so much from that as mentioned on this episode isaac is heading a new initiative called pastoral lab which will create 
opportunities for women to preach from their own hermeneutics, and give them the financial organizational skills for them to flourish in their ministries. If you'd like to help us with this initiative, please consider donating at isaacweb.org.